interracial couple with two kids wanting to do something that highlights the power of friendship and what it means to be in the company of true friends. We're going to move our society away and out of the loneliness epidemic and into a friendlier, happier world. Welcome to Our Friendly World. Better. Stronger. Together. Good morning. Hello. Welcome, everybody. This is Vaughn. And Matt. Honey, I'm really tired. And not only am I tired this morning, I guess I didn't sleep again, really, very much, but I'm also feeling a little blue today. Oh, Nene. I just can't get to sleep. <sighs> Don't let the fawn stay up late. I can't help it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what to do. Uh-huh. I'm sure. I'm sure there's a very educational program on TV last night, and I'm sure you probably tried to... Wait, did you? Did you try and drag me in to watch it? Hmm. No. No, it's... Like, sometimes I just need the TV because I feel alone or scared, and I just need something to be right there. Well, yeah. no, 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 and I, I completely understand that. And it that. actually helps me go to sleep for a little bit. Except if I try and, even when you're asleep, if I turn off the tally, you'll be like, I wasn't sleeping. Yeah, because you're disrupting the energetic flow. Yeah, but what if you're watching something hectic? Like, it, like yeah, I don't know. I know. It always goes cheaters. to something. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> cheaters. I always feel like I need to take a shower after watching that. Well, yeah. It's so horrible. Cheaters, licensed investigators. I don't, Protect I, your right wait, to stop, be informed. We don't want to get sued. <laughs> I just feel dirty. I feel no, so sad. I know. And dirty. I know, babe. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, no, I'll look at something totally happy and I'll fall asleep to it for just a little bit, mm -hmm. but wake up to hectic news. Exactly. Which is why, you know what? When I'm sleepy, I go to sleep. But you know. It's just if I go to sleep, I wake up and I'm just wide awake and I hate that feeling. So I'd rather have my books around and my notes around and the TV around. Yeah. Oh, dear. Don't let the fawn stay up late. Yeah, well, that's not going to happen. I don't know what to do. First of all, I'm not even tired. That's right. I'm not tired. What am I going to do? I'm not tired. Must you always go to our... Whatever I say, you turn into a, a, a Shakespeare or a you know, children's book. We never get to talk anymore. <laughs> Tell me about your day. <laughs> Folks, Matt is reciting one of our favorite books. Oh, I've got a great idea. We could count the stars. One, two, all three. All right, all right, all right, all right. Anyway, today's show. Can I have a glass of water? <laughs> Studies I, show that fawns need hardly any sleep at I, all. Can we just start the show now? It's the middle of the day in China. I'm exhausted. Please. Can we start? I'll go to bed early tomorrow night Okay, instead. let's go. Let's go. Let's start. So hey, today's topic. Oh, this here fawn just won't go. Stop. Okay. All right. All right. With apologies to Bo Willems. I'm not even tired. I'm not even tired. Yes, yes, yes. So what are we talking about today, darling? So today's show, by the way, our youngest is here. Good morning. She's quiet. She's drinking. She's like a little fawn drinking water. So pretty. It's like watching a beautiful creature in the forest drinking. Okay. Hey, you go, girl. All right. So first of all, before we get into today's topic, I have a nugget that uh -oh. I remember from... Santa Monica. This nugget comes to us from Russell Flinklin. He was one of the owners of the building I lived in, in Santa Monica. And the building that we lived in, that we all lived in, all of our friends, as well as other neighbors around like that eight block radius, when we were all tight, we were all close. It was like a village. I come home from work one day, so upset. My job was horrible. I barely got paid enough to like, I remember my my salary, basically my budget was $20 a week for food. 
it was like I barely got paid anything and I was always scared about how I'm gonna make ends meet and if that wasn't bad enough like no health insurance nothing if that wasn't bad enough the people I worked for were so horrible like horrible mean very abusive one day I'm coming home and I came into the lobby to had my keys was going to check the mail and there's Russell in in the lobby it was this big big lobby it was just us and I was quietly sobbing just crying you know that quiet cry where I can barely breathe but just like the tears are just flowing and my whole face is red and wet from Mm -hmm. tears right and um so he sees me and so we were all friends first of all like everyone in the neighborhood and he sees me he's like Vaughn what's the matter what happened and I was crying so hard that I could barely speak like it like I was so upset that you know what that kind of cry where you're trying to get the words out but your breath doesn't allow you to so he took me and he put his head I'm sorry put his put my head in his chest and he was hugging me he's like Vaughn and I barely told him anything I just said it's work and I'm so scared of like just they're gonna fire me and and there's just they're so horrible and I don't remember everything I told him I just I remember I didn't tell him very much because I was I was blown away by his um, sensitivity and how he got exactly what the situation was without me giving him all the gory details and so the wisdom that came of him right then was do not ever let anyone make you believe make you think that you are not worthy that you are disposable you are valuable don't let them brainwash you into thinking that that's what they want to do that's how they control you know that you are so valuable you cannot be replaced you know that there that's just a stupid job don't even worry about it but like the way he talked to me that day I'll never forget that and so sometimes when I feel um a little disheartened and I feel like oh my god how am I ever gonna make it through like how is this ever gonna work out like when I have thoughts like that right and I feel like I oh my god I can't see how how I can make it like I just I remember that I remember not necessarily the exact words he said. I mean, I remember a few of his exact of those exact words. I remember the feeling, and I remember the message he gave me that day. Right. So that's my wisdom for today: is you are valuable. Everybody has value, and do not let any situation or anyone let you believe otherwise. Don't believe that lie. The nugget of wisdom for today. Right, because people will use that uh, control, just like uh, Mr. Flinkman said. Russell. Mr. Flinkman was his dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, so, which actually leads us to the topic for today. I wanted to talk about times when people around you are totally against you, when it feels that way. So I have an example Around the time we got married, it was shortly after that, was when I went to Portland for a portfolio review. So all the major galleries from across the United States got together, like the gallery owners, as well as some gallery owners from Europe. Um, They got together at this conference and all the art photographers paid a lot of money to come to this big hotel. It was three or four days of being critiqued by these gallery owners with the hope of maybe one of them will pick you up as their artist and so and there were also some publishers or people that had connections with the major publishers right you know that was around the time i was trying to publish my book um my global family photo album right yes absolutely and that's what my portfolio was actually was that although you know the portraits i did from all the different tribes around the world and I had studied all the religions of the world and I put them together and I treated religion as literature as well as combining it with with 
amazing sayings from the great mystics of of our ages and those mystics some of them are are scientists like tesla and einstein as well as amazing poets like rumi hafez so anyway this book that i had put together and when i was showing my work it, it did not go the way I thought it would. And I should have paid attention. <laughs> I should have paid attention to all the signs. One major sign was before this thing started, I was sitting I was sitting in the lobby of this hotel, once again in the lobby. Seems like when the great messages are given to me, I'm always in some lobby of a hotel. I'm sitting there, and by the way, I did let not look like other photographers. Everybody, it seems like where whenever I'm part of like a group like this, I don't. I'm always in a suit. Like even in art school, I was always in a. Wait, suit. Wait, you were wearing a suit that day? In my way, a suit like how Doris Day in the movies would dress uh, up gotcha, when gotcha, she was gotcha. going to work. So wait, wait, hold on, hold on. So Pencil if, skirt. If I'm a traditional um, photographer, does that mean I need to wear like a black turtleneck and <laughs> and some kind of dark khakis and be very lanky and tall with dark kind of slightly bushy hair? And I think you're thinking of like the beat. Beatnik. I'm thinking era. of Beatnik. Yeah. Well, I didn't say you had to have a Van Dyke going, but no, they're just like normal, like uh, off the street, you know, jeans and white t-shirt, kind of, you know, whatever. Just like so normal. Like okay. Everybody so else. so you were just spiffied. So beyond spiffy, I was crisp. I was wearing high heels. I was wearing pencil pencil skirt with a blazer and very bright like pinks and reds. But very Marilyn Monroe-ish slash um, Doris Day-ish. I love. Okay. Like, you know, very designing women once again. <laughs> so, and instead of having a normal portfolio, I carried a briefcase, right? And I had, uh, my hair would be pulled back. And I just, I don't know. I just loved that look back then. And now, but I don't get to dress like that anymore. So I did not look like the rest of the crew that was there to show their work. So you were just there to attend some kind of a business meeting. You were right. probably going to go off to some random office conference room somewhere and, and meet with some business all day, right. as opposed to being at the actual event. Exactly. Okay. And I was early, and so there were other people in the lobby that were having coffee. I didn't know anybody. For all I knew is, you know, for all I knew was that Perhaps whoever I was sitting nearby, they were part of some other conference. I didn't even think about it. I just sat there to collect my thoughts. Right. And all of a sudden, this conversation started right next to me. And they were talking about galleries and photographers. So I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And they were older. So I'm listening quietly as I'm just looking at whatever book I had in my hand. And they start talking about these fools, can you believe these idiots? They pay all this money, travel all across the country to have us totally break them down, thinking that we'll actually give them a break in their careers. And they started laughing. So wait, could you literally hear the sinister music? Did the lighting shift <laughs> to be like harsh shadows across faces? I'm not or, exaggerating, honey. And were people going, mm, excellent with their hands they like were just, Mr. Burns? They were just kicking back. And like reveling in the fact that they get to get paid to do this to people. So if I want to crush hearts and dreams, I should open an art, art gallery? Is that yeah. what I should do? It's a scam. Okay. I swear it is a scam. The whole art world. Well, let's hold the Sturgeon's Law that says 90% of anything is crap. So probably 90% of art galleries are a huge scam. So... No, most, I mean, the whole industry is a scam. Why do you need a middle person? And you're not even going to make money off of it. You're going to make a little bit if you do manage somehow to get into that very small clique. If you get picked up by a gallery, let's say you sell your work. That's it. That's really it for you. Unless you're of the elite that they choose you to be. I don't, there's no money in it. So really the best thing... This is what I discovered after after this whole week was, and it turned out to be a great pivot for me. 
once again, that word pivot I don't like, but I realized that that was a turning point for me with my career. And I ended up saying, F the art world. This is such ludicrous nonsense. I'm not having any bit of it. I'm going to study business. I'm going to learn as much as I can. I don't need these people. I don't need a middleman. I don't need a gallery. This is old news. This is some old defunct system. And I see it. You know, it was right there before me. Like, it was such a gift. Now that I think about it, everything that happened that week Mm -hmm. was such a gift. Much like when we got married and we saw how people showed their butts. You know, we invited 120 people. We spent all this money. And we realized, wow, almost every single person that was invited to our wedding totally showed their butts. And we realized they're not allowed in our circle. You know what I mean? Well, yes. But once again, like, I thought my people were not too terrible. Like I said, most of them. <laughs> right? But no, no, no. I, I got you. And I remember when you talked about even going to this thing in, in Portland. I was like, cool, this, is, this will be a nice shortcut, as it were, for your career. What does that mean? Like, like it'll get me somewhere? Meaning that it would show you a direction. But, uh, in, a, yeah. in, a, in a very quick way. So hence the word shortcut. Yeah, I do remember that you said that and I didn't get it. I just, when I heard you say that, I thought, oh my God, it's going to be my big break finally. And yeah, that would be a shortcut for sure. It turned out to be a different shortcut. Exactly. A totally different path. But best not to waste too much time. Okay, so, okay, to, to speed things along, um, I heard this and I should have taken heed right away, but I just didn't. So the doors opened up and I went in and I realized, oh my God, these people that were talking were the, the gallery owners. And so it began and you just basically go from table to table and you put your portfolio down, they go through it and they critique you. And if they like you, I mean, the whole premise of this whole thing was to find new talent. They looked at my work and it was not good. It was the most gruesome kind of critiques, one after the other, and they all, and words would spread like wildfire Mm -hmm. because you think it's just one-on-one, but somehow everyone's listening. If if something interesting is happening, someone overhears, and then it was like phone tag real quick. All of a sudden, the other end of the room heard what this person said to this person. Right. And I didn't realize that was happening, but it happened to me because two, well, the first person that saw my work ended up saying like such outrageous stuff, not only about my work, but about my character and my intellect. And it had nothing to do with photography. Like, and now that I think about it, I'm like, I was the only non-white person there. You know, there are so many things I can go off and say, well, this could have been it. But right. really, there was no reason for it. And I know my work is good because I've always had phenomenal response from my peers, mm-hmm. not these old critics, but from my peers and from certain people in the industry that actually have some clout. Right. You know, I've had major support from people. Right. And your work is beautiful. So thanks, honey. And, you know, and then from also my friends who are not white, who are black, they would say, hey, Fawn, don't let them get to you. You're it's just a bunch of old white men talking to you and they have a white man's guilt. They see pictures, beautiful, strong pictures of black people and they freak out. They don't want anything to do with that. They have white man's guilt. They look at it, and this was one of the comments was like, oh, God, I can't I can't look at such devastation. I'm like, devastation? What are you talking about? So they looked at black people, and they saw devastation, whereas I had photographed kings and queens of tribes in right. Ethiopia. Right. For God's sake. Like, these were amazing, healthy, powerful, strong, well, wise people. Right, and I think about the shot that has has the father with his son and how the father is literally, it looks like he's just radiating and I can feel the pride and love he has for his son. And, and, and like literally, I can't see anything else in that picture because it comes across so vehemently. And powerful. They're Very powerful, powerful people. So they couldn't be bothered to look at that stuff, right? <clears throat> Anyway, so word spread, the words that this guy said to me. 
And the next person I saw had already heard what had happened. And the next person was um, a publisher. Uh-huh. She's like, I heard what this person said. Tell me what they said. What happened? And so I said, okay. So I told her what he said. And she said, well, he's right. <sighs> he's 100% right. And so I closed my book. And I did what I was told the entire time. Like, throughout my educational experience i was told no matter what anyone says to you say stand up say thank you shake their hands and say thank you so much for your time and that's what i did but that was the last time i remember feeling like oh my god i can't say this again to a person like that again every time i say thank you and thank you so much for your time i felt like a disease was growing inside of me right right you didn't feel true to how you were feeling it I, it, it's so deep, Matt. I, it's so deep how I feel about that. Right. I mean, it makes me feel, made me feel sick. Right. And, you know, honestly, we have a rule in our house that, uh, rule, uh, guideline in our house. If somebody is feeling something, it doesn't matter that that was not my intent or that the other person didn't mean it. It's still a feeling and it still needs to, it still needs to breathe and it still needs to be, you know, understood and and you have to figure out what to do with that thing for sure we have something in our house called let it out club it goes along with our kitchen table talk where no matter what it is you're feeling we create a space like a little cave and i I tell the girls let it out whatever you want to say you can use any word you want it doesn't matter you're not going to get in trouble but let it out Um, don't worry about if it's correct or not if you feel like you want to say that sum them up mother plucking biscuit stupid head (laughs) god forsaken bleepy the bleep just say anything you want and just let it out are we gonna have to get somebody in here with a buzzer to like buzz you i'm trying really hard not to say that. i know and i'm but what's so funny is the girls won't do it they'll just laugh because i'm the one with the truck driver mouth i'm like look for example about this person from yoga we can say and they their eyes get really big and we start laughing hysterically (laughs) (laughs) nice so but that was that was the last time i'm like i'm not gonna say thank you to these mother pluckers ever again. Right. What is that? So anyway, I closed my um, portfolio and I headed to the bar in the lobby at 1030 <sighs> in the bar. morning. And I don't drink. You know me. I Once or twice a year, I'll have a cup of coffee. My Lord, she is a cheap date. I have one sip and I just don't feel good. <laughs> I w- no, no, no. It's like the third sip. First sip, you're like, oh, this is so good. Second sip, you're like, oh, I could drink all of this. Well, and then no. the third sip, then you're like, oh, yeah, that here, is- take my drink, husband. <laughs> That's if it's a foo-foo drink. But if it's a drink, drink, <laughs> like even beer, it's disgusting. <gasps> to me, but Blasphemous. Anyway, so here I am at the bar, 1030 in the morning, having a scotch, straight up scotch or something like that. It was some clear, like it wasn't clear, but like some hardcore drink. This this guy comes up to me like a peer, like another photographer. He's right. Like, I heard what happened, <sighs> and first of all, that hurt. Like, who are you? I don't know you. And how did you hear what happened? How do you know that was me? How? It was crazy. And he's like, I heard what happened. Please don't listen to these people. And then I had other people come up to me. I'm like, please leave me alone. I was thinking to myself, like, right. and who are you people? How did that? How did word get out? Aren't people? showing their work don't they have other people to be listening to like how did that happen so my point is i couldn't hear the good words that were coming towards me all all that was replaying in my head were the words that these people said the, mm-hmm. the horrible just the the ins, the insults that i heard right i couldn't right. hear my peers coming up to me and saying your work is really beautiful i don't know why they're saying that to you I, I couldn't hear that. I just right. heard the bad right. and, and the ugly. And that's just it. It, it. it always feels, and I think in our society in general, that the the horrific, the terrible, the, the, the negative seems to, A, attract us, and B, be harder to shake off. I mean, they, they, they do say, like, if you're famous... You should, you, you probably should you read the reviews, but you should do your best to forget the good ones and the bad ones. 
but it's so hard. So why bother even listening to anything other than your inner? There but is, it's hard not to. I, well, everybody wants to grow and everybody wants to progress. Now, it's one thing for somebody to criticize. I get it, you know, blah, blah, blah. Your work is blah, blah, blah. But I think it's really hard for people to be constructive when they criticize. They always say constructive criticism, but they're right. I mean, it's one thing to say, hey, Matt, you know, this, this code you wrote today is terrible. Okay, fine, this happens. It's something else for them to say, hey, Matt, have you taken a look at the, the dry principle and have you thought about a try, uh, use, don't repeat yourself, and tried applying that to the code. And, and here, let me show you what that may or may not look like. Well, all of a sudden, that's an opportunity to grow. And we all want to grow. We all want to progress. We all want to be the absolute best we can. And I think we all search for a parental hug in a way. That hug could be in the words, in, in within words, or just being feeling supported, right? And you just want to feel supported. I think is you know you're looking for critique in the hopes that you meet that expectation that you have inside yourself that you're doing something great. And yeah, no, 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 absolutely. Just just this week, as a matter of fact, we're playing. With, we're not playing. We're using a new technology that I haven't used before, but I'm peripherally close to and I worked on my first kind of solo like thing and it wasn't a hard thing to do but I just wanted to make sure it was as right as it could be and so the guy who's in charge nominally he's he's a little we're all introverts but he's a little um he's uncomfortable necessarily talking to me about it but I was like please tell me exactly how you would have done it just so I get a cl good clean sense because I already know that what I have built works we do this all the time it works it's one of the things i love about computers is either your programming stuff is going to work it's going to put a pixel on the screen or whatever it is or it isn't and if it doesn't then there's obviously a huge problem but there's a kajillion ways to get it to put them to display that pixel that text box that website that whatever on the screen there's a kajillion ways to do it and there's literally an infinite number of ways to do it terribly there's a much smaller number of ways to do it well, and there's an impossible one best, which you never find. But I wanted to make sure that what I wrote was good enough. So when I talked to him about it, I was like, no, 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 what would you do? No, 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 what would you do? How exactly would you have done this? And I finally got him, I finally broke him down enough to tell me exactly what he would do because he was so reticent. And that's, I think, what we really look for. But it can be hard, certainly, I guess, on a more artistic level for you to have really like dug in on that to say, okay, fine. So the work is not what you were looking for. What were you looking for? And then they, you know, all of a sudden the other person might be back on their heels because they're just like, well, I know what I, I know what I like and I know what I don't like. And it's like, well, great, thanks for that. So, what what you else can you tell me? But, honey, you can't really have a conversation with someone when someone says you have no intellect whatsoever. You don't have any talent here. This is garbage. When someone says stuff like that, you can't say, well, what are you looking for? Fuck. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it doesn't. You can't. <laughs> you can't fight with that. So anyway, but just quickly, I just want to finish the story. Okay, I, I'm Because I do, I do want to hear your how you handle stuff like that because you handle confrontations like that, if if you can call it a confrontation, situations like that, really beautifully. So here's what happened. So I'm at the bar. I'm drinking. I, I think I had half of that scotch or whatever it was. And oh, I, dear. I, I took, I'm, I'm like, you know what? Nuts to this. I don't care how much money I paid. This is some, this is some BS. Malarkey. So I walked myself out and I started, I took my, my, you know, I got off that stool. I jumped off the stool at the bar with my high heels and my briefcase. And I started walking down the street, downtown Portland. And it was crowded it was the weather was beautiful and everybody was out on the street so i'm walking kind of losing myself in the crowd i thought and all of a sudden this woman starts calling calling towards me like excuse me excuse me excuse me and i turn around and i don't know this woman she knows me 
And she was one of the gallery people, one that I hadn't spoken to. And I thought to myself, huh, because she introduced, she said, with the group, blah, blah, blah. Right. And you were like, what does this witch with a B want to say? And she's like, well, I, I, again, my heart was open. I'm like, oh, maybe she's a friend. And so I'm, I'm looking at her thinking maybe she's a friend because she, she looked like she wanted to help. Right. Right. Then she opens her mouth further and she's like, I heard what happened. And let me tell you, it's because your prints are not matted. I'm like, what? What does that have to do with the images I'm showing? First of all, these are museum quality prints that I laid out with gloves. Museum quality prints made by the most respected printer in the country who totally was supporting my, my book. Right? Right. And she's like, they're not in mats. And I looked at her and I think I did say, you know, if you're not going to like what I have to show you on these beautifully printed museum quality prints, if you think a mat will change anything, I don't want to talk to any of you anymore. Thank you. And I walked away from her. But she was trying to sell me her mats because actually I missed to tell you that part. Oh, dear. She was trying to sell her service saying you know if you just put them in a mat you'll have better reception anyway i walked away and then i was even more upset like starting to shake now like with rage and sadness at the same time and i walked all the way back to the hotel room crying and i go i open the door to my hotel room and i just didn't know what to do i was just feeling really upset like i didn't know what to do with what I was feeling. I didn't know how to calm myself down. I felt so alone and so disrespected and so low. Like, how am I... This is horrible. Like, this is my life's work and I'm tired of getting treated like this. And so I didn't know where to turn. I turned on the TV because the TV's my friend, once again. It, It helps me. Like, I feel like sometimes I just get... I don't know. It helps me out. I turn on the TV. Well, right. right? No, no, no. And I get it. You go back to your hotel room because it's the one sanctuary you have in that city. And then there's an inner sanctuary, which takes you to a much more kind of a a globally kind of safe space. I get it because you're in control. Yeah. I mean, it just takes my mind off things. It's like having a friend there that will just tell you a story to get your mind off of what your mind is on that you can't stop the loop of. Right. Yeah. I'm listening. I turn it on. And what was on when I turned on the TV was an animal show. And it again, it's another sign for me, much like lobbies of hotel rooms around the world. It's when things come on TV, like animal shows. Right. I remember when I did this big shoot in Ethiopia. I Before I went to Ethiopia, I looked, for some reason, I was watching over and over again, like these shows called When Animals Attack. Oh, dear. Which was not a smart move because I'm not a nature person, really. Right. Even though we're vegan and we're very uh, responsible, we try to live responsibly and right. treat the earth with respect. I'm terrified of nature. Terrified. Well, there are certain aspects of nature, humongous spiders. You know, there are flying snakes. Yeah. You know what? I don't need to hear that. I know. Okay. <laughs> we bought a house on Bainbridge Island and a little, what was it? A, gar- what, a garden? A little garter snake. Gardener. Garter. Garter snake. It, first of all, I was pregnant. It was so little. It, it kind of touched my boots in the grass. And, Her boots and that no I was, bite could get through. I was pregnant and very gingerly stepping around because I was newly pregnant and I was like, oh my God, I'm pregnant. How do I treat this fetus with respect and I got to move a certain way I must have flown without touching the ground all the way to the house I don't know I just remember screaming right and flying through the air and telling you we need to sell this house we had just moved in like there there was a snake we're moving I don't I just nature I I'm mystified and very horrified of it I forgot what I was saying. Oh, so I was in Ethiopia and I heard all these sounds. I was camping where they found Lucy, the bones of Lucy. So we're talking super out there. Way out there. Okay, me, camping. Where's Where's the Circle K? Where's the 7-Eleven? I don't... <laughs> 
And I heard all these crazy sounds and shadows outside of my tent, which I pitched myself, by the way. I did not sleep a wink. And I did whatever when animals attack told you to do, like you got to protect your neck. I had a 90-pound backpack filled with equipment and all kinds of stuff that have metal in them, like hardcore equipment, my camera equipment, protecting my neck, shivering all night from fear. By the time the sun came up, I was exhausted. It turned out I had pitched my tent under the tree, and you're not supposed to do that. I traveled with two people from Ethiopia that one was responsible for driving, the other one was the guide. And, he, and they were laughing at me. They had built the fire early in the morning and they were sipping their teas. And they were started giggling when I came out of my tent because I looked so disheveled. And, like, <laughs> <laughs> and I was still freaking out. I hadn't slept at all. Right. But you were alive. And so they're like, Fawn, what's happening? They were laughing. Oh, man. I'm like, oh, my God. Did you hear all those lions? All the growling? There are lions here. Oh, my God. Well, it was Africa. Did you see the shadow? I saw all these crazy shadows outside my tent. And they were laughing and laughing. I'm like, what are you laughing at? They're like, well, look at where you pitched your tent. I'm like, yeah. I was proud. In the shade of a tree, yes. They're like, you put it under the tree. Now look up in the tree. I looked up in the tree and I saw baboons. Okay. (laughs) They're like, you did not hear lions. Those were the baboons. They imitate other animals. I'm like, son of a Do they just do biscuit. it to entertain themselves or? Maybe they knew I was scared of, like, they knew, like, I associate being out in the bush in Africa with lions and stuff. I bet you I can make that whole tent move. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that. It's shaking. So they, they play pranks. They like, they're like ultimate tricksters. Anyway, so that's my story with, like, one story with when animals attack and stuff like that. So I turn on, I'm in the hotel room in Portland. I turn on the TV, and it's an animal show. And it's this shaky video footage that this wife of a hunter was shooting. Because he was trying to shoot this deer, this this big buck. Okay. Mind you, hello, my name is Fawn. With big antlers and stuff? Yeah. Uh Like a major big big right full grown he wanted something pretty to put up on his wall so this guy was trying to shoot this deer and the deer i could tell like the deer just threw down the gloves man he started punching this guy like how you see kangaroos punching so he like reared up and um just started yeah with his what do you call it hooves or you know the yeah hooves his front hooves started beating the heck out of this guy and the guy with the gun, the gun was no use. Like, he ended up running towards this tree. <laughs> I'm envisioning torn clothing at this point, but so go ahead. So here I am. I'm still in my heels. And I'm looking at this thing while the tears are still running down my cheeks. Right. right? This guy books it to the tree closest by. And he starts to climb it. But he's so scared. And the deer is, like, pounding him. He could only get up a certain distance. Mm-hmm. And now he was head to head with a deer, right? He was like barely hanging on this tree. Oh, man. And the deer just looks at him after having pummeled him, right? Right. And now he's in the tree. The deer turns around and sticks his butt close to the man's face and just defecates a whole bunch right there. <laughs> oh, my, my. And walks away triumphantly. So... The tears are still rolling, but I had stopped crying. Uh-huh. And I'm like, oh my God, if that is not a message for me, Fawn, I don't know what else. I mean, that was perfect. Thank you. Nice. Thank you, God. Thank you, everybody. That's what I needed to hear. Right. And that was the big pivot in my career because although I wasn't able to uh, see or hear mm-hmm. that my peers respected me, that my peers loved me. I couldn't hear that because I was stuck on the negative right. feedback. Seeing that gave me such strength. So even though you feel like you're surrounded without any help, if you feel like no one is supporting you, I guarantee you there is something there trying to show you the way. 
for me it was that deer right to remind me don't mess with the buck don't mess with the fawn because i guarantee you in my way i did get back at these people right in that i i remembered my power and starting that day forward i never looked back i never got myself involved in the art art world ever again i ended up making a lot of money as an architectural photographer i told all the peers that were still going to these galleries for support mm-hmm. i told them exactly what i heard that day i told them and they and they put pieces together for themselves and they realized oh my god you're right so you don't need that right so i'm sorry now it's at where the 37 minute mark and i've talked so much i'm gonna let you take it over honey but this is what we're talking about times when people around you were against you and how did you get through it how do you get through it right right and and you know what wow that's a good subject you know it it speaks to grit it speaks to integrity it speaks to having a clear sense of who you are now i have to say when i when i were a lad yeah i absolutely you know i had god absolutely amazing people around me i was very very fortunate as far as my friends went so when you know figures that i respected other figures that i respected teachers or whoever they look at you and they're like "Mm, what's this Ah, what's that i had that sense of self because you know not to be anything about it yeah i i had unconditional love i had unconditional trust and i had unconditional respect for my friends and i felt the same way about them and so it wasn't like a we're against the it's 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 us against the world but it was so hearing things like you know what are you doing or there are so many programmers out there why would you ever want to do that or sharing uh my favorite author with a parental unit and having him focus on one tiny aspect of it to the exclusion of everything else in the book you know these things didn't affect me they were like bumps and i was like you're you're just confirming my opinion of you now these were people who were theoretically closer to me who were taking shots and yeah what was nice about that whole aspect of things was that these people weren't in the same kind of arena i was in so they weren't art critics and i was i was a an artist you know so these things were for me at least easier to kind of bounce over and laugh about and 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 not take too seriously but then later in my career, you know, when you're when you're interviewing from a, for a job and you get the feedback back that says, well, you know, they thought you were weren't strong enough in such and such. And it's like, wow, that's a little harder to come back from. And where I end up coming to it from as a programmer is sometimes I, I tried to treat their critiques, their criticisms, wherein you suck constructively. And, and sometimes I was just like, well. When you walk into any interview, the interviewer can look at anything about you and decide that they don't want to proceed. And that decision, that kind of initial emotional decision that they have to rationalize is made within the first 30 seconds. It's like guy walks up to girl at bar, girl walks up to boy at bar. It's the same thing. And it, it's not necessarily grounded in reality. So there's that aspect to really consider and, and really think through that there's just an emotional whatever because they're having a bad day or because you remind them of somebody who really pissed them off. So you could say the wrong thing, like, I don't know, make my day or something. And they had a guy who would always say that to them who they didn't like or, you know, whatever. So you're immediately on their their terrible list. But if you come across as just a, a, a weak, insipid person without any opinions, it's a similar problem. So... I like to let my freak flag fly. I like to show them who I am. I like to present myself well. And and so a, a success condition for me, certainly in an interviewing situation, is that is not that I got the job and not that I proceeded, but that I presented myself well. And that's all I care about. Because ultimately, if they don't feel like I would be a success, then I wouldn't be. So that's fine. And that's that can be a valid critique. Now, with that said... 
I can, you know, sometimes we feel, uh, sometimes we feel like we're suffering from imposter syndrome and I don't want to dwell on that too much today, but like, you know, how did I get here? What am I doing here? Do I deserve to be here? <laughs> you know, and I, I think that that's a, I think that that's a, an extremely common thing people go through. I think everybody is kind of in that space of fake it till you make it of trying to understand, particularly in my field, because if you're not learning constantly, that all the rules seem to change like every eight months. And that's, of course, grossly oversimplified, but it does, it certainly does feel that way. And it can be hard to deal with that. And so I'm very fortunate in that A, I have some really good friends. B, when those moments of time where I've needed, which is uncomfortable for me, for me to even admit, but when I needed some external validation, that I've had those figures come and give me that. But, you know, the more, more time I spend on this blue marble, the less I, uh, the less I feel the need for external validation because I, like I like to think I know who I am. I'm walking my path. Blue marble? What's Earth. That? Oh. The great blue marble. <laughs> Got it. Um, sorry, I'm being eloquent. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's a blue-green marble. Anyways, I find le- I, I, I need this external validation less and less just because I, I, I like to believe I'm strong in who I am. And so it's almost like nowadays I'm like very, it's like at work, which is kind of one of the few places that I can get hit with feeling this quote-unquote imposter syndrome. But I'm very aggressively looking for feedback. I'm very aggressively looking to grow, and everybody knows that. So that frees me on so many levels that I am so aggressively looking for growth and I'm so uh, aggressively looking for honest feedback that it, it diffuses, I think, people's ability to really affect me negatively because I'm looking for feedback and I'm looking for good feedback. So somebody doesn't have to be like, you know, I really want to tell him this, but I don't know how he'll take it. I'm like saying, look, I want to know. So in doing so, I think I, I, I forestall a lot of that feeling of not knowing because that's, that's, I think, a lot of it. And also, again, blast computers. Anytime I'm feeling a little off, and we all feel that way, I can go write code. I can just go write code and I can feel better. I can explore an idea or I can learn a new technology or I can, I can, I can. So in much the same way that uh, I, I would assume if I was an artist, I could like draw something that I was super proud of. I can write code that I'm proud of, but it, it then becomes a self thing, an internal thing that I don't need to share with anybody. So that's a lot of how I deal with things. Can I ask you a question? I don't know. I have two questions. Uh-oh. One is, okay, so I have two questions. I'm going to ask them both at the same time. Okay. One is, is this how men, and, and I don't want to say men and women, because I think we're now at an age where everything is now, you can't define men from women, men. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I don't want to say men do this, women do this. It's not like that anymore. That's the old way. Right. However, I have noticed, let's just say, the group of friends that you had around us when I came back from Portland, and I was still, I remember sitting at the coffee bean on Main Street and still kind of weepy about this situation. Right. And remember one of your friends had moved into the neighborhood and he was Eastern European. What was his name? Started with a P or something. Pavel? Yeah, him. Pavel lived. No, he he hadn't moved there. He was there. He, but I had never seen him in the neighborhood. I know. Like I he know. he wasn't part of our village. Village. I know. You know God, what I mean. Paulus always reminded me of my uncle too. So, who had passed. but I awesome remember dude. we were dealing with two things at that time: was what I experienced in Portland, and another photography-related issue with a peer, where I had to say no, and then I was made to feel guilty. But really, we were talking about this whole criticism thing, right? And you guys, you turned to him because he was, I remember he was walking, was he walking his dog? He was walking across the street and you yelled and you're like, hey. And so he came and he's like, what do you have to say about this situation? So he said, without skipping a beat, he said, 
about these people with the criticism, he would just say, F you. And he'd walk away. Well, I feel like, I want to say men, but I feel like you guys can just say, F you, and walk away. Whereas I'm sitting here still crying about it for years. Like, why did this person have to do that? Why? You know, asking so many why questions instead of just getting over it as soon as it happens. You have such the ability to just say, well, that doesn't suit me, F that, and walking away from the situation. It doesn't pierce you the way it would pierce me. So that was one question. Now I forgot the other question that I had. Oh, the other question I had was, so if you were in my situation, if you were a photographer and you had my portfolio and you were told the stuff that was told to me, how would you have handled the situation? Right, right. Um, yeah, okay. So, yeah, how can, you, how can you just walk away? How can you? You know, yes, okay. I, and to say F you while you're doing it. Right. God, I <laughs> no, miss. thank you for your time, sir. Pal- Palace is a good dude. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, no, and, and it's a great question. Now, keep in mind, of course, Palace isn't emotionally connected to the situation. Logic versus emotion, right? Emotion builds Taj Mahal's. Logic says F you and walks away. So there is a certain element, I suppose, of compartmentalization. I suppose there's a certain element of looking holistically at your life and saying, does my life suck or does my life rule? If your life in general rules, you know, one tiny little piece of, uh, one tiny little piece of gray sky isn't going to affect it. Right. So that's for starters. And, you know, Palos is very much a, a Popeye guy and I'm a very much a Popeye guy. I am what I am. And I, I understand what that means. So everybody has moments that they suck and everybody has moments that they rule. It's a question of what you focus on grows, where you where you want to spend your what we what I call emotional currency, what we call emotional currency. It's where you choose to spend that, where you choose to spend your attention, where you choose to spend everything. And again, I'm very fortunate in my choice of career that I can I can find my you know, there's multiple ways I can find my happy place. And at different points and times in my life, there were different ways that I would. And, though, and typically, finding my happy place generally is occupied with some challenge that I have to myself. Be it, I'm going to bike up Mount Whitney today, or I'm going to write this piece of code that understands how to process a binary search tree. It doesn't matter. And, and, and that's the fun part. To anyone outside of myself, these ridiculous challenges that I'll do mean nothing. And and that's fine. Again, I'm totally cool with that. But I know if I stop and talk to a friend about it, he's going to listen. And not even that he's going to understand, but he's going to listen. And it's good to have someone listening to you. So, so are you saying that there's like you have more of an emotional wall that you don't let everybody in? And that was my fault. I was so open to these people and I had respect and love for them, even though I didn't know anything about them. So do you guys just not have that until the person shows you that they deserve that? Whereas I come along and everybody's deserving, everybody's welcome until they S all over me. (laughs) Well, again... Theodore Sturgeon's Law, which says 90% of anything is crap. You can look it up. It's awesome. Uh, And I actually don't think it's his law. But anyways, if you want to Google it, it's in there somewhere. 90% of anything is crap. So if you think about it, 90% of, and I'm just looking around now our kitchen, 90% of tea is probably not that good. No. No, I'm not talking about the tea in our house. I'm talking about the tea that exists in the world. Thank you. Okay, so there you go. Um, but 90% uh, 90% of if books, we get 90% of, you know, anything is crap. So guess what? You're discerning. That means people. Right. You know, and it's, it's literally just what it is. So you guys are more discerning about everything. So, well, you guys, um, I don't want to be labeled. I don't want to be. You and your 
put in group. with. But, you know, for me personally, yeah, yeah, I am. And there's a total give and take. And if you are a taker, then I'm going to stop being a giver. And if you're constantly a giver, at some point, you're either going to bail on me or I'm going to give more. It's, 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 there's a push-pull. Oh, my God. I think I'm starting to see it. You are more, the, the word, the super official word for it it would be judgmental but in a good way you're yes. discerning Myers-Briggs I'm an INTJ introvert uh, in, introvertive intuitive thinking judger rock on whereas you're more of a perceiver silly Myers-Briggs stuff but anyways uh, personality testing stuff but then you asked me another question which was how would, would I have you have handled done? the situation right yeah okay so all right, fine. Somebody, and again, bring it back to, in, 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 in my mind, it is an interviewing situation. I'm sure. showing you my best, and I'm asking you what you think. I think Shields, we start at yellow alert. We it's just more do. than what do you think. It's, please help me survive. Right. This is my livelihood. Yellow alert means the Shields aren't up, but we're getting ready for trouble. Welcome to Star Trek. God, too many cultural references I have. But anyways... But as soon as you start showing an aggressive posture. Who's you? Me? As the artist or? The interviewer. So I'm the artist. I see. And you are the person I'm showing my work to. But as soon as. They're tricky. They're tricky. It's not like it starts to happen. All of a sudden, boom. Right. But the shields come immediately up. And honestly, I think I would have been shocked. And I would have taken it. I, th I think a lot of people are that way when all of a sudden the everything just turns. Aikido was not in 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 that area for me yet. So. Right. Well, no, no, no. And again, the shields come up, and so. But I, I honestly think I'm in shock. I honestly think I'm like, what? What? Really? Let me let me let me look more closely. Is is this really my best work? Is this what I meant to show? Is this I think I go through have that dialogue and I think that person leaves going, "Wow, I was a real dick dick to that person." Woohoo. I think I let them have that. It's just it's a question of what I do after that, and I think what I do after that is I think I go outside and get some fresh air. I think I don't I don't stop at the bar to get a drink, but I think I go outside to get some fresh air. But I think I just sit there for 10 minutes. And then I think I go back in. But I go back in with all the armor on. And the next person who says anything, then I stand up and I say, you're wrong, bye-bye. And I think I personally would have to have that. So spiritually or emotionally or whatever you want to talk about it, if I have a bad interview and everybody does, I do something similar where I say, you know what? That's fine. If I'm not what they're looking for, then I'm not what they're looking for. And that's fine. But I typically don't get people trying to invalidate me as a person, which is wholly different. It's one thing to say your work stinks. Okay, fine. This happens. But if, I don't typically have people trying to invalidate me as a person. So if somebody tries to invalidate me as a person, <laughs> that just makes me laugh because I have a very clean sense of who I am. I can't express it in a sentence, but I know who I am. I know what I've done. I know what I can do. And I know that I'm still progressing. And as long as all of those things hold true, everything else is everything else. And I can, I can let stuff go, right? Now, that doesn't mean I necessarily let the other person get away with it. As a matter of fact, ooh, yeah, I have a, I have a yeah, I'm currently thinking of constructing a, a, an, an email to somebody who, yeah, I probably should never send, but we'll see how it goes. Anyways. Really? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Guy I used to work with. Um, he's a manager somewhere. And yeah, when I <clears throat> suffered my unfortunate layoff, I emailed him and he never emailed me back. That's unacceptable. You can email me back and say, sorry, I don't have anything for you. But to not even e email me back when we had not a great personal relationship, but a personal relationship, that's baloney. 
and you need to be told that that's baloney and you shouldn't act that way. So that's kind of the other part of it. Right. You know, educating the other person as to what is and isn't kind of acceptable. So figuring out what that even looks like. And, and that'll make me feel better, too. What? Yeah, absolutely. Because I'm walking my path, which is not that I'm not going to let anybody get away with anything, but you need to check people when they're not acting kind. Because you don't, you don't have to email me back and say, oh, yeah, you're the greatest thing since sliced bread, and, and then ghost me, because that would be even worse. But to not even email me back, that's bull. That's complete bull. Unacceptable. That reminds me of O-sensei, one of the things he would say. I was just reading up on him because we did have the show on Aikido. But he said, never back away from a fight. Get behind it. Get behind the person that's attacking you. Nice. Well, yeah, it's probably the safest spot. When, it, when a cat attacks another cat, he always goes for that area just above the tail. Really? Yeah, on the back. So they're... And and this goes for house cats and lions. It's really interesting because cats always come up when you're talking about martial arts and Reiki. They have that 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 key right. knowledge. Right. Right. Well, everything everything we're just talking about it just makes me think of friendship. Also, everything relates to that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, having a clear sense of self, having a group around you who is strong, who knows who you are and and respects and likes you for that. And that's so important. When you don't have that, what kind of friendship in whatever way, whatever form is around you and recognizing that. For me, that one day the friendship, the friend was the TV. Right. And I had other friends, but I just couldn't hear what they were saying. I right. couldn't hear the ones that were saying Fawn, why are you listening to these old people from a system that's breaking down? Why are you not listening to your peers and we're telling you your work is amazing? Right, and that's because you were very emotionally connected. And that's that's how you roll. You run very emotional. I run very well, logical. I let the wrong people in. I did not have that force shield up. Right. And I forget. Sometimes I forget. Whereas that should be the number one thing is to protect yourself first. To have that shield up. Well, yeah, Aikido teaches us if 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 I have to, you know, and, and Kung Fu, if you can only hurt rather than maim, then only hurt. If you have to maim rather than a kill, then maim. If you have to kill rather than be killed, then yeah, absolutely. And it goes all the way into that dark place. But Kung Fu teaches you to protect yourself too. And that's more important than protecting your attacker and that kind of flies in the face of Aikido but uh, you know that's where people take it now but but it, you absolutely need to keep yourself safe first and I yeah so that's having your circle be clear so you don't have anything penetrating your circle keeping a harmonious realm within yourself and around yourself and when things start to come in to penetrate that that the shields are up. The shield being up doesn't mean you have a wall up so you don't let people in. It's a filter, right? Right. So you and your friends have really good filters. Whereas for me, I'm still, I mean, back then especially it was hard for me because I didn't have that filter put in. Right. Well, you know, it's, it's so much, I don't know, nicer and easier when you don't have to have that shield up. And, and, but that's just it. To me, that's a place that a relationship, a friendship grows to. It's not a place where a friendship or a relationship starts. So repeat that again with other words. So you're saying you should start with a filter and it grows so you don't need the filter anymore? Yes. They, because they've earned the right to not have a filter. Right. I mean, honestly, had we gone on our first date and I showed my butt, you would have been like, oh, forget this guy. <laughs> you know, he's a clown. Don't want to don't waste my time as, well, you know, I'm showing you, you shouldn't. True. But when I get to show you my true, my best self, when I show you my best self and you show me your best self, then we get to a place where I can see respect and love your less best selves. 
got it. Thank you. Yeah. That was good. I can't believe after all these years I'm still talking about this, but I think it's helpful to revisit this idea. And obviously I, w- I was still emotional about it. Right. Any more words of wisdom from the Mate? There's always more to say on any subject, but the kids woke up, so here we are. All right. Thank you for listening, everybody. Indeed. Actually, please, if you could, please visit us at BeFriendlyWorld.com and leave us a review for this podcast, Our Friendly World with Fawn and Matt. And please email us examples of how you found a way when it seemed like everyone was against you. How did you find a way back? Right. All right. Well, thank you, guys. Another great show. So good to be with everybody. We love you. Thank you. Thank you. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye.